0: Sheila grew up in a very abusive home where she really never felt loved. As a young teenager, she realized that she could use her looks to get the attention of a voice and to hear nice things from them. Uh, One night when her mother came home, uh, she saw Sheila in the living room watching TV and was wearing sort of a skimpier outfit than she was used to, and, and she yelled at her, go change clothes and then she slapped her she would go out and then stay out a little later than she should have on dates with boys she'd come home and her mother would often meet her at the door just screaming at her and uh, telling her that she was hopeless she'd say once a whore always a whore when she was finally able to leave home she moved far away to a big city she didn't have much money and she She had trouble finding a job, but she did meet a guy named Jim who let her move in with him, and one day Jim told her that he had arranged a job for her uh, with a friend of his. And uh, so when she went to the job interview, she got there and she realized it was a, a massage parlor with very questionable ethics. And she protested to Jim, but he said, hey, we need the money and this is all you're good at. And with her mother's words, once a whore, always a whore. In her head, she gave in and did the work. And when she had finally uh, saved up enough money to leave, she left town, went to a new place, and uh, and actually met a nice guy who was kind to her. And eventually, they got married and had a few um, happy years until she met Frank who told her that Made convinced her that she was not happy in her marriage and that she should come move in with him. Once again, with her mother's words in the back of her head, she made the bad choice to leave her marriage and go to a bad relationship. Once a whore, always a whore. Last week, we started a series on the book of Hosea, Where God tells the prophet Hosea to go marry a wife of whoredom named Gomer, and uh, we saw how Hosea did that, even knowing that she would have children who might not be his biological children, and he did it because God was using Hosea and Gomer to be a really a visual lesson of God's relationship with His people. Now Hosea one three, where we left off last week, says that Hosea took Gomer to be his wife, and that she bore him a son. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse four as we look at the children that are produced here, and uh, what their names mean. And so, if you are able, would you please stand for this reading of God's word, Hosea chapter one verse four. And the Lord said to Hosea, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name no mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God." And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Frank Zappa, the writer of such classic rock songs as Uh, My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama and Don't Eat the Yellow Snow, Uh, had two children that he named Moon Unit and (laughs) Dweezil. Have you ever heard those names before? Those are odd, peculiar names. Kind of fun names, though. Frank Zappa was a fun guy. In contrast, Hosea gives his three children three very depressing names. Now, actually, it's God who... Names the children, gives the names. And he gives them, and they're depressing for a reason. And so let's look at what those names mean. The first child, uh, first son, is named Jezreel. Now, Jezreel is a name that would have had great resonance in Israel because it was a place that was infamous. You can read about it in 2 Kings, tells the story of how the evil queen Jezebel and all of her descendants and, and 70 of the sons of Ahab were all slaughtered in the valley of Jezreel. And so it was forever known as this place of slaughter. It would be kind of like today calling a kid uh, Auschwitz or Nanking. Uh, and by naming the boy Jezreel, God is he's reminding Israel of their violent future, but he's also predicting a future military defeat in Jezreel if the people do not turn from their evil. So the first kid, interesting name. Second child is named lo Ruhama, which means no pity or no mercy. And I am just a guess, but thinking this is not a popular name back in Israel in the day. The third child is named Lo-Ami, which means not my people. And again, probably not at the top of the list of uh, Israelite children's names back in the day or ever, right? Now, with the first child, the text says that Gomer bore him, Hosea, a child. And so Jezreel would have been Hosea's biological child. But with the second and the third child, uh, we're just told that Gomer bore children, right? Right? The contrast between bore and bore him is subtle but stark, isn't it? It's the author's sort of understated way of saying that these kids were not Hosea's biological children, and, and we get here a little glimpse into Hosea's pain, but we also get a glimpse into God's heart and into his ways. Here in th- throughout the Bible, we see that to be a child of God, you must receive mercy. Now, there is a prevailing notion in the world, and even in the church, that this idea that everyone is a child of God. In fact, not too long ago, Pope Francis made the statement that you do not, as Christians, we do not need to try to convert other people and other religions because everyone's a child of God, right? And that sounds very nice, right? And certainly all people are made in the image of God. And we are to love and respect all people because they're made in the image of God. But that's very different from saying that all people are children of God because that is not what the Bible says. In the first three verses of Ephesians 2, Paul talks about who we are by nature, who we are naturally. He says this, he says, you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, in our natural state, we are sinners whose hearts are bent towards evil, thoroughly rebellious towards God and deserving of his wrath, right? By nature, we're not children of God. We are children of Wrath. But then in verse 4, Paul gives the great conjunction, but God. And he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Right? The great change agent in our lives is God's mercy that brings us from death to life. Or from being children of wrath to being children of God. Why? Why does He do that? Because of how awesome we were? No. What did he, What did Paul say? Because of the great love with which He loved us. See, that's an important thing to know about God's love. It is unconditional. His mercy is freely given. He gives mercy because he wants to give mercy. He loves you just because he does. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It is freely given. That's what mercy is, undeserved favor and forgiveness. And Throughout the Bible, the the promise is made. uh, There's this great promise where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people and I will dwell among you. This is the promise that he gave to Moses right before Moses went to to Pharaoh to to demand that he let the people go. It's a promise that he repeated to the the nation of Israel through Jeremiah and through Ezekiel. And through all of the ups and downs of life and and Israel's history, through the wars and exiles they faced, through the building and the rebuilding of two different temples and the the births and deaths of kings and prophets all of that, Israel could always count on that promise. I will be your God and you will be my people and I'll dwell among you. But here in Hosea 1, these, these children's names are really the reversal of that promise, aren't they? God is saying, I won't be your God. I you won't be my people and I will not dwell among you. And God tells us again why he gives those awful names. Because Israel had rebelled and defiled themselves and now God is, is going to just give them over to what they want, right? To destroy themselves with other gods. To be released from relationship with the one true God. What we get when we don't get mercy is what? Justice. We get justice. God giving Israel the due penalty for their sin is simply justice. It's what they deserve. That's the worst news that anyone could get, isn't it? That God will give you justice rather than mercy. Trust me, you do not want that but it's not his last word to Israel in this passage is it verse 10 shows us that God still has mercy to give and that God's mercy gives us a new destiny and it gives us a new name look at verse 10 again he says yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea which cannot be measured or numbered and in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, should be said to them, children of the living God. If you remember all the way back to the book of Genesis, God had promised to Abraham that his children would be as numerous as the sands of the sea shore. Right? And he's, he's essentially restating that promise here. Saying that he is going to change Israel's names from not my people to my people. And that his people will be as numerous, more numerous than we can count. And God loves to give people new names when he gives them a new calling, a new destiny. When he called Abraham, his name was Abram. And God changed his name to Abraham, father of multitudes. And his wife, Sarai, he changed her name to Sarah, princess of all. He changed Jacob's name from deceiver to Israel. He who wrestles with God has power with God. And and then in Hosea 2, 1, he changes Gomer's children's name, right? From lo, Ruhamah, no mercy, to Ruhamah, mercy. From lo, Ami, not my people, to Ami, my people. Well, you say, okay, well, but this is all Old Testament stuff, Right? what does this have to do with me today? Actually, this is about you too. <laughs> because if you go into the New Testament, you look at Romans chapter nine, Paul, the Apostle Paul there is he's, uh, he's talking about God's purposes in election, how, how God had elected Israel to be his chosen people. And God says that, 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 or Paul says that God's great desire is to make known the riches of his glory To the vessels of mercy. And then he says, Who who are these vessels of mercy? And he says, It's not just we Jews, it is also the Gentiles. And then he quotes Hosea from right here Those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. Ah, it's not just Israel that God is who went from being lo ah me not my people to ah me my people it's people outside of Israel too right which is most of us by birth and if you're a student of the of the bible and religion this should be really interesting to you and and if you went if you're a woman who went to the uh, Nancy Guthrie workshop we're doing biblical theology this morning right I find it fascinating. I hope you do too. But this, because what does this mean? This means that, that Hosea, who lived 700 years before Christ came, was prophesying the inclusion of the Gentiles with the Jewish people as the people of God. That they would be together included in the one new people of God that we now call the church. He was prophesying the ministry of Jesus that would bring the gospel to all the nations, not just Israel. See, God's mercy changes the destiny of people but also of whole people groups. And when you're given God's mercy, you're given a new name. That's why, have you ever noticed that when we do a a baptism, we baptize people into what? The name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You're baptized in the name. Baptism is a symbol of someone becoming a new creation, being given a new destiny, a new life. And in baptism, they get the name Christian. Revelation 3.17, Jesus says, to the one who conquers... I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. and that's something that in heaven that God will give you a new name that only you and he will know. Let me tell you the rest of uh, Sheila 's story. Sheila had a neighbor named Jan who befriended her and began to invite her over for coffee and uh, one day. Sheila said, Do you know, why are you being so nice to me? And Jan said, well, because I like you. And Sheila said, well, you don't even really know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know, I'm really a bad person. And Jan said, well, I, I know someone who can make you a good person. And she began to share about how Jesus had changed her life. And, and she invited Sheila to come with her. Sheila was skeptical, but went to church with her. At church, she heard the story of the woman at the well and how Jesus knew her whole sordid story and still loved her. And Sheila began to read the Bible, began to see that God's love washes all of our sins away, makes us white as snow. She began to realize that that could be true for her, that she didn't have to stay stuck in her old narrative. Once a whore now, a spotless bride, once an orphan, now a child of God. And along with a new name and a new destiny comes a changed heart, changed behavior. Because the gospel tells us that God's people will not just receive mercy, God's people will also give mercy. Now, Jesus tells a story in Matthew 18, about a man who owes millions of dollars to the king. It's just an obscene amount of money he'll never be able to repay. And the king is just about ready to, to call in the debt and, and send this man and his whole family to debtor's prison. But the man comes and he begs for mercy. And the king decides to give it. And he erases his debt and sets the man free. Imagine having a, a financial debt that you will never be able to pay. I've known people whose, whose student loans and credit card debts have just been crushing to them, something to think about every day and night. How grateful would you feel if someone said zero balance? You don't owe anything else. But what does this man do? He goes out, he finds a guy who owes him a 100 bucks and starts to choke him and says, give me my money. Guy said, I can't pay you. And he sends him to debtor's prison. You know, it's almost comical. Uh, you, you just say, how could he do that after the love and the mercy that he had been shown? And yet we do it all the time, don't we? We do that when we fail to show mercy to others because Jesus is the king who absorbed our debt on the cross paid our debt in full and instead of living in line with that mercy we, we too often go out and demand justice from others and you think of ways that you've done that maybe small ways maybe big ways been thankful when someone lets you in to traffic and that that nice feeling lasts until somebody else tries to get in front of you and you speed up. So they'll know they need to wait their turn in line. Right? We're relieved when God forgives our habitual sin patterns, but it's greatly annoyed with other people's habitual sin patterns. I know of a church whose leaders labored for years with, with a couple in a dysfunctional marriage, helping them work towards healing and and getting healthy. And after one poorly worded announcement about COVID precautions, mad and left. Friends, when we've been shown mercy, we must also show mercy. Jesus says as much when he teaches us the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God's people ought to be the most merciful people in the world because we have been shown the most mercy. Let's pray. Father, we are we're so grateful that when we needed you most that you came into our lives, showed us mercy forgave all of the wrong things that we have done, gave us a new name, gave us the righteousness of Christ and all the riches that come with being a child of God. Father, may we believe those truths that it might help us as we, as we live this life in battle against sin and death. May we also be so filled with your love and your kindness and mercy that it would be, just become natural for us to show mercy and forgiveness to other people, even when it hurts sometimes to pay the penalty of other people's sin against us. Father, may we remember all that Jesus has done for us and freely forgive. We pray this in his name. Amen.